Hello and welcome to this Tech Blast episode, the series delivering 15-minute overviews of an issue in the lab and the solutions available to help you through it. I'm Tristan Free, Biotechniques Digital Editor and host of the podcast. In this episode, we'll be departing from the technique slightly and instead focusing on a critical aspect of drug discovery, good lab practices and regulatory compliance to ensure that vital discoveries withstand any FDA audits and pass applications to progress to clinical stage trials. Our guest today is Tim Bolas, Compliance Program Manager at Molecular Devices. Tim, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Thanks for asking. So, Tim, firstly, let's set the scene a bit. I, I think most of our audience will be working to good laboratory practices to various sense, perhaps without really considering it that much. So could you summarize what the terms of good lab practices and good manufacturing practices sort of encompass? Sure thing. So GLP stands for good laboratory practices and GMP stands for good manufacturing practices. Pharmaceutical industries are regulated by the Code of Federal Regulations and Title 21 is reserved for food and drug. So there's regulations there. So let's break it down a little bit more. Part 58 is the regulation for non-clinical laboratory studies. And these are known as the GLP regulations. And these are designed to manage scientific data presented to the FDA, who is tasked to scrutinize scientific validity of research studies. GMPs, Part 210 of Title 21 is the regulation for the manufacturing and processing of drugs. And Part 211 is the regulation for the finished pharmaceuticals. These regulations are more concerned with the manufacturing process designed to demonstrate that FDA, that the regulated product conforms to predefined criteria. And then there's another part, um, part 820, which is for the quality system regulation. And so, sorry, these are parts of Title 21. So can you just expand on what Title 21 is? Title 21 is the overall regulation that is reserved for food and drug. So the manufacture and how there's regulation in the manufacturing processes. So the ones pertinent for pharmaceutical and drug development is Part 58. And that has to do with non-clinical lab studies. And then we have the manufacturing pieces, Parts 210 and Parts 211. Fantastic. And so why are these practices important and particularly in drug development? Let's apply these in the course of vaccine development or drug development in general. So um, the GLPs apply to those experts who work in the research side, who perform non-clinical studies, and then development, who perform the preclinical studies. And these involve safety, efficacy tests, which assess biocompatibility, toxicology, and pharmacology. And most of these are tested in animal models. So there's regulations about how you conduct your tests. And then now that an organization has enough preclinical data, They want to now test them in human subjects. So now there's another part of Title 21, which is Part 312. And this is the regulation for investigational new drug application. This also applies to biologics as well. And this is the formal presentation of preclinical data to the FDA. So now that the vaccine or a drug enters the clinical trial phase, it can be tested in human subjects. So now there are two new sets of regulations that apply. So there's now Part 50, which is known as the good clinical practices or the GCP regulations. And these are designed to ensure the safety of the participants or those that are participating in a clinical trial and the collection of data through these clinical trials. And also the GMP regulations mentioned earlier, they also apply because now you have to manufacture the vaccine or the drug that will be tested in humans. So in the context of the COVID vaccines, let's talk about the emergency use authorization for the pandemic we use here in the United States. This allowed that the COVID vaccines go straight to clinical trials. And in part 312, there is a subpart I 
which provides more regulatory requirements for the expanded access to investigational drugs for treatment use. So it is regulated how they release this in the grand scale. So basically, for those vaccines that are still under the emergency use authorization, this is basically a large-scale clinical trial, which is gathering data on the vaccine in humans. Once enough data is gathered to demonstrate the benefits outweigh the risk, another part of Title 21 is Part 314, and this is the regulation for the FDA approval to market a new drug. And once a drug or vaccine is approved for marketed use, the GMP regulations continue to apply all the way until it's marketed. So there's regulations for manufacturing that they have to conform to what they say, how they're going to build it and that it works for us as intended. Okay. And so what steps would you advise researchers to follow for those in drug discovery and development stages regarding each of these parts? I'd like to introduce molecular devices play readers in our SoftMax Pro application. Our SoftMax Pro standard edition software can be used in non-clinical studies. And I would recommend that our GXP edition, which introduces data integrity features, which support part 11 requirements. And the introduction of data integrity of electronic records is important in preclinical phases. Since they're generating data that they're going to present to the FDA, it would be good that you have data integrated this early in the stage. So our GXP edition software features audit trail capability to ensure data points and results were not manipulated with malicious intent. So that's preventing people going in and changing the data just to make it look good. With an audit trail, you can actually see who's done what in the system, what they did with the file. Secure data storage is equally important to segregate electronic records needed for these IND filings. IND stands for investigational new drug. So when they file for clinical trials, they have to submit this data. And those that support drug vaccine manufacturing throughout the development lifecycle, they also have to maintain these records because the FDA can look at these anytime they want. And how does this vary into the good manufacturing processes for later down the line in the development stages? So as your test protocols, as well as your your molecule that started in research, moved to development process, is now in clinical trials. They're finding the right dosage and so forth. And then they're also testing it, how, how effective they are, all the way up until it's manufactured for commercial use. As your test protocols go through the different phases, data integrity also is always important with these electronic records. And as I mentioned, these audit trails are designed to tell a story of what you did in that controlled environment. So our software features configurable roles and permissions to ensure what users can do in a regulated system. These permissions also prevent deletion of files, modifying formulas, and who has access to data in the database. So business processes can also be designed around these permissions that you're given to particular people in the labs. And data retention requirements also apply. Thus, the secure data storage is equally important in GMP environments where vaccine is already approved for marketed use. So if there was something wrong with a particular data point, they look at stability studies that have electronic records. They want to be able to go back in and look at a, take a deeper dive to see how the product was performing over a course of time. So these having these electronic records available for investigation and audit, that's very important with data integrity. And, and do you have any examples either in your own career or sort of well-known examples in, in industry where GMP or GLP has, has gone wrong. People haven't followed these practices and have been called out by the regulation. I have a story to tell, actually. This is from my personal experience. So picture this. I was on my way home after a long day. I get a call from one of the lab managers saying that the FDA is here and they want to look at the software and they want to see the setup. 
So I, I make I make my way down to the lab and walking into the lab, I can already see that something might go wrong. <laughs> and you always have that in the back of your mind, but you have to be careful of what the FDA auditors are asking. They were asking a lot of questions to the laboratorian that's sitting in front of the lab state workstation. And they actually asked the person to delete a file. And basically we said, we have SOPs that prevent users from actually deleting files. Said, yes, that's though you said that. We want to make sure that if somebody was to delete a file, can they do it? And so they were able to delete a file in front of the FDA. And you can see them already writing notes vigorously. And in the back of my mind, I says, oh my God, we're going to get a 483. But basically we were able to explain in the audit that there was a backup of the file that was deleted. And we explained that the permissions of this particular user, this user moved from a higher permissions role, moved to this new lab where they have lower permissions, but they were not changed accordingly. So basically it was an audit to the business process. And it's basically just turning off a permission and then the ability to bring the file back. So being able to explain all of those to an auditor, we did not get a 483, but they did make an observation that said that we need to do have more control of our system. I'm sorry, so, a, f- a 483, what, what's the... A 483 is a document that the FDA gives you when they find an observation. And as the recipient of a 483, you are to make the corrections as needed and to um, let the FDA know that you have corrected this observation. Okay. And just to make it clear as well and explicit, so if you've deleted a file, what's the fallout from that? What is the huge error there that the FDA would not like? Well, deleting a file basically is, did you do it on purpose? Are you hiding something? Why did you delete it in the first place? So things like that, but also the same thing as I don't need these files. I want to delete that. So it's just the intent. So basically just don't let anybody delete files. If you there is a need to do it, the software allows you to. And you can actually have one particular person that has no relation to the data or no investment in the data. So segregation of duties can be applied there. But being able to delete the file, that's a risk permission. So we're careful about which permissions are assigned to users. But in the case of if if we got a 483, if we were not able to bring the file back, that's a data integrity risk. And then if we were to be issued a 483 and we did not correct it, then we get a warning letter. A warning letter means that you violated this particular regulation to a business practice and they will tie it back. And you have X amount of time to resolve that particular deficiency or discrepancy. And basically in a warning letter, they tell you that your product is considered adulterated by the FDA. So those are the ramifications if you don't follow (laughs) the regulations. And so you've mentioned some of the tools that you have available. What what are other kind of areas that researchers can access for assistance to make sure that these practices are as secure as possible and are also as simple to complete as they can. I'm going to go back to our GXP edition of our SoftMax Pro software. That features data integrity compliance all in itself. So it's a package and it features the audit trails at the document and the system level. So at the document level, you can actually see the formulas that were changed as you go along. And in the system audit trail, it tells you what you did in the database, who logged in, what time they logged in, and what they did in the system. We also have the configurable user permissions and roles. And that's to differentiate what a basic lab technician can do, what a super user can do. So a super user has more advanced knowledge of the software and test method development and so forth, and what an admin can do in the system. So you can configure roles and permissions, what they can do. And then we have the secure database that can store the regulated data and can be configured to provide access to certain or all users. So you can store lots of data on the database and you can lock it down that nobody can just access it when they want to. Or if you want them to be able to access it, that's up to your business process, how you want access to be granted. 
And what aspects of GLP do you think needs improving or refining? Is there any area that you look at now and you think that's actually a bit of a gap that needs covering or that you think needs improving? Throughout the conversation, I've been talking more about data integrity. I think there's also aspects of the regulations that talk about validation or equipment. There are regulations that do govern the calibration and validation of lab equipment, and they're scattered throughout Title 21. These are written at a very high level, which are open for interpretation and application. But basically, the pharmaceutical industry is waiting for FDA's new approach to computer software assurance, or CSA, which focuses on a higher confidence in system performance, meaning that the system works as intended. And this is focusing more on applying the proper amount of rigor in unscripted testing than on scripted testing. So what are those two? Scripted testing is how pharmaceutical companies have been validating their systems. And this requires a lot of documentation. So basically a test script can be in general, if I turn this delete permission off, what will it look like in the system? So you log into the system, turn off the permission, then you apply it in the software. Does it work? What does it show you? And then you, you check it off. Yes, it's a pass. And then now you're going to check the box and then you're going to do that. And you do this. For example, we have 50 permissions that require testing. So rather than scripting 50 different test cases to test each permission on and off and what will happen when they're on and off, you can simplify it to a test case comparing how the software performs with no permissions granted and how it performs with all permissions assigned. And this reduces the amount of documentation needed to test and eliminates a lot of documentation errors. So industry has evolved over the years in terms of validating the equipment and the software, and they have approached the FDA for some guidance on how to approach this. And we're just waiting for the FDA to come out with that guidance. And that's basically the improvements that the industry sees. Fantastic. Well, those are all of my questions for you, Tim. Do you have any last points that you would like to add? I don't have any more. I think I pretty much covered everything. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the episode. It's been really valuable. And I hope that's something that's going to be really valuable for our audience to get a good overview of, of everything that they should be doing and should be aware of if they're working in sort of pharmaceutical drug development. For sure. So if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to find more like them, you can check out the podcast section of our site over on www.biotechniques.com or follow at Tristan on Twitter for regular updates and threads on our latest episodes. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>